Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Valerie was upset. It should have been him on that ship. He trained for months and months, perfecting every task and checked every list to a T. And now, someone else is out there instead of him. Three days ago, he and his two other colleagues were supposed to make history. Instead, they were all replaced by their backups. Three days ago, his physical showed a small spot on his lungs. And that tiny spot cost him and his colleagues this project. In his mind, they probably blame him for missing out as well. He's happy for the replacement crew and for the advancement of their mission, but it was still quite painful. Yes, he's done it before, but this time, it's different. As the ship and the replacement crew continue their mission, all he can do was take notes, learn, observe, and hope that another one is approved soon so he can get his chance. Hopefully, this spot in his lungs will go away and never bother him again. This was the second time he missed an opportunity to go. Soon, Valerie will find out that this small tiny spot, despite how much he blamed it for his misery, will actually be the one thing that will save his life and once again escape death. You are listening to Untimely, a podcast about events in earlier or recent history that resulted in untimely fatalities and damages in its wake. I'm your host, Lynn. Since the late 1950s, our world's fascination for anything beyond the clouds was made possible by the men and women of the space programs. Our episode today brings us all the way back to the space race, when both the United States and Soviet Russia were continuously one-upping each other with bragging rights of anything space-related. Together, we'll look at the brief history of our quest for knowledge and how we've learned from our mistakes so it never happens again. Soviet Russia's space program started way back in the 1930s with rocket experiments and testing of ballistic missiles. Soon after, these rockets propelled outer space. In 1957, the Russians deployed Sputnik 1, translated as Traveler 1, and it was the first satellite to orbit the Earth. Obviously, human-crewed space missions came next. In 1960, General Nikolai Kamenin became the head of cosmonaut training for the space program. He was responsible for the recruitment and training of many Russian cosmonauts that will endure the daunting task of human-crewed space missions. As the program went up and running, since then it collected many firsts. Laika was the first dog in space, Yuri Gagarin was the first man, then followed by Valentina Tereshkova as the first woman. 
Russia was clearly winning the race and their program was threading a long string of successes. One of these successes is the invention of the Soyuz spacecraft. Its major design was to carry two cosmonauts in spacesuits, or three without, into space while previously only one crew member was able to do so. When then-President John F. Kennedy announced to the world that the United States will send men to the moon, the Soviets had an answer, the Soyuz program. The program started in 1963, and they planned to use the -the state-of-the-art manned spacecraft with Soyuz to beat the United States in this race. The groundwork was laid, the technology was advanced, and their cosmonauts were prepared. Several engineers, Air Force pilots, civilians, and military personnel who were bold enough to be a part of the Soyuz missions came forward to offer their services and, of course, raised to be a part of the next set of recorded firsts in space. But with success also came compounding failures. Soyuz 1 was the first manned flight using the spacecraft launched in 1967. Cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov was the lone crew member of this flight. Although his mission in space was completed, he landed unsuccessfully and unfortunately died. Komarov was deemed the first death in the in-flight space program. But despite the fatal setbacks and delays, the Soyuz program continued. Even after the United States landed men on the moon in 1969, the Soviet space program did not falter. Instead, they changed their focus into creating space stations and have cosmonauts stay in the station for some time. In preparation for this new focus, several engineers and pilots were appointed to get the program going. The next set of crew members for the Soyuz missions were then selected and started to prepare. These appointees became part of a crew, and crews are formed for each mission, and there are usually three sets, a prime, a backup, and a reserve. This setup allows missions to continue if any of the crew members were found to be unfit or unable to execute the operation due to medical reasons or otherwise. While the Soyuz missions were being put in place, another breakthrough was finalized by the Soviet space program. In 1971, Salyut-1 launched and became the first-ever space station. The purpose of the space station is to conduct experiments on the effects of long-term spaceflight in humans and plant life and other astrological and microbiological tests. Next is to get cosmonauts on board to initiate these experiments. The first crew under the new mission was Soyuz 10. The three-man crew started training in the same year of the Salyut launch and prepared for the first docking and transfer of humans from the Soyuz spacecraft to the Salyut space station and stay there in orbit. However, once Soyuz 10 was in space, the crew tried to dock the craft to the station. With too many technical difficulties, where the hatch would not unlock, they had to abandon this mission and come back to Earth. Of course, they had to try again. So then came Soyuz 11. The prime crew members for Soyuz 11 were the following. Commander Alexei Leonov, Flight Engineer Valery Kubasov, and Test Engineer Pyotr Kolodin. These men have been working as a crew for the space program for quite a while. They were actually the backup for Soyuz 10. Then the backup crew for Soyuz 11 was Georgi Dobrovolsky, Vladislav Volkov, and Viktor Patsyev. All these men were picked by the space program and vetted by General Kamanin. 
The mission training started in March of 1971. The crew had to learn from Soyuz 10's difficulties, including docking successfully. Meetings were held to lay out contingency plans and a rapid response and solution to every possible issue that might happen while on board. Bad air, water contamination, equipment failure, almost everything. Three days before the launch, the crew of Soyuz 11 goes in for their medical checkups, which was standard. Each cosmonaut goes through a battery of physical tests and exercises conducted by appointed physicians. One by one, they received the results. Leonov, cleared. Kolodin, cleared. Kubasov, not cleared. As you can imagine, this was devastating news for the crew, especially for Kubasov. The physicians found a small spot on Valery Kubasov's lungs in the X-ray results and interpreted this as the beginning of tuberculosis. Another team of physicians was flown in to verify Kubasov's diagnosis and they concluded the same result. Now, under mission rules at the time, this means that the backup crew will fly instead. The next day, a press conference was held presenting Georgi Dobrovolsky, Viktor Patsayev, and Vladislav Volkov as the crew of Soyuz 11. Like anyone in their position, Leonov and the rest of his crew tried to argue and reason with General Kamenein, but with no luck. All three of them will have to sit this one out and hope to be put back in rotation in the next Soyuz missions. Months later, it will be found out that the tiny spot was not tuberculosis, but a swelling due to respiratory allergies. Launch day for Soyuz 11 was June 6, 1971. The three-man crew was given the call signal Yantar, translated as Amber in English. Mission control monitored all levels, communications were clear, and the weather looked like it will cooperate. Despite the drama that ensued with this launch, Soyuz 11 rocketed to space successfully. After the fourth revolution around the Earth, the spacecraft is ready to start maneuvers to dock with Salyut 1. Because of how the station is located, Mission Control was not able to track the progress of docking because it was out of communication range. This means that the crew of Soyuz 11 will be off radio contact throughout this process. It will be a nerve-wracking 90 minutes until Mission Control and Soyuz 11 establish contact again. So, Dobrovolsky signed off. Then, radio silence. It's up to the crew now. The tension in the air was so thick you could put a knife through it. Will it work? Will the automatic rendezvous and docking system do its job this time? The weight was almost unbearable to everyone down on Earth. Slowly, the station comes back in view and static becomes signal. Then a voice through the radio. It was Patsayev. He reports, quite simply, the crew is on board the Salyut 1. Relief and joy wash over everyone as the problem of docking was solved and now they have men on board the space station. News of the first ever space station reached all corners of the world and it was a glorious day for the Soviets and its space program. Now one of the fans inside the space station burned out and the station's air quality will need to cycle so the crew spent their first night inside the Soyuz. The next day, work started. The crew still needed to get used to zero gravity, so each of their medical statuses were closely monitored. 
The medical team had a numeric code to describe each cosmonaut's physical state, 1 through 5, where 5 is excellent health condition and 1 is no signs of life. Inside the space station were equipment needed for their mission experiments, a telescope, a spectrometer, electrophotometer, and a television. There was also enough fuel, water, and food to last for 30 days. The crew got down to business. For many days, every planned experiment was conducted, observed, and noted with almost 140 completed. On June 18th, the crew makes a five-minute television transmission. Almost immediately, the three cosmonauts became household names and achieved popularity and praise. The transmission was in so much demand that a dedicated time slot was given to the crew that was televised for many to see. Volkov even became a teen idol, and his photos were plastered on bedrooms of young men and women in the entire country. Despite the great achievements, there were many glitches and other equipment failures that needed to be fixed inside the station. At one point, a fire broke out inside, which the quick-thinking crew was able to extinguish before it becomes much worse. But again, with the bad air quality, the crew had to go back to the Soyuz until it is safe to breathe again. One of the comments that the crew made regularly was the uncomfortable and tiring nature of the training suits that they were wearing. Some of the elastic bands were torn and it did not adequately replace the gravitational effects. In some days, there was so much work that the crew went without food, water, and rest. In accordance to the program, the crew had to complete physical training while on board to sustain endurance. But the full training was not completed due to the many breakdowns and unplanned repairs. However, these cosmonauts were absolute professionals and knew what was at stake. So many breakthroughs, so many milestones breached, all because of their hard work. By day 20, the crew of Soyuz set a new record, most days in space. They had completed over a thousand revolutions around the Earth. Despite the hard work and exhaustion, the crew was somewhat in good spirits. The next day, the crew finally finished all experiments in the station. And although the station was equipped to provide basic necessities for 30 days, the decision was made to bring all of them back earlier. This was also seconded by the medical team who felt that any longer may cause physical damage to the crew members. The plan was to get back on Earth between June 27 and June 30. The next step for mission control is to prepare the landing sites while, for the crew in space, move all experiment notes, results, photos, and materials to the Soyuz and put the station into storage mode for the next mission. The landing site was approximately 150 kilometers or 93 miles southwest of the city of Karaganda. At that time, Karaganda was under the Soviet Union. Now, it is a city in the country of Kazakhstan. It was agreed and approved that the crew will start their descent on June 29th. The recovery and medical teams will travel ahead and get everything ready for the touchdown. The day before, the crew followed a strict checklist to shut down the station. They made a note of the conditions, what needs to be improved, and what provisions need to be replenished. Once every box was checked, the three cosmonauts went back to the Soyuz in their training suits, then secured the hatch. All three agreed it was time to go home. At 9.30 in the evening on June 29th, the crew of Soyuz 11 successfully undocked from the Salyut space station. As the spacecraft drifted away from the station, 
Patsayev took photographs of the salute at 50 meters away, then at 40 meters away, until it became too small to see through the lens, while the Earth came closer and closer. At 16 minutes past midnight, Mission Control radios landing information to Soyuz 11. Conditions on the ground in both the primary and secondary landing sites were relayed to the crew. Visibility was great, the wind and temperature were both perfect. Everything was looking good. The crew was also advised to report every single step of the descent, when the braking engines fire, when they enter the atmosphere, when the parachute opens, and of course when they have finally touched down. They were also advised to wait for the recovery team and not to open the hatch themselves or get out of the capsule without any assistance at any circumstances. Dobrovolsky radioed back. All received. Landing sequence proceeding excellent. All okay. Crew is excellent. Once everything was confirmed, Mission Control radios back. Goodbye, Yantar. Till we see you soon on Mother Earth. Dobrovolsky replies... Thank you. Be seeing you. I am starting orientation. By 1.35 early in the morning, Mission Control recorded the braking engines firing followed by the 187-second retro fire burn. Soyuz 11, on the other hand, did not report back. Remember, they were told to report every single step of the descent. So everyone at Mission Control waits for the verbal confirmation, but they were met with silence. 11 minutes later, control sees module separation, but not a word from the Soyuz. At this point, everyone at mission control scrambles. Will the Soyuz land or is it still in orbit? They hear nothing back from the crew. It was confirmed that between 1.49 in the morning to 2.40 in the morning, Soyuz 11 was in communication range. They even called back many times, Soyuz 11, report. But no answer can be heard. Obviously, something was wrong. The landing and recovery crews in Karaganda reports visual contact of the capsule near the landing zone. Nothing external or structural looked wrong, so perhaps there was something wrong with the radio. The parachute signal then shows deployed. Again, the landing process looked good, except for the radio silence from the crew's side. The search plane and the helicopters see the capsule heading for the ground. And at 2.16 in the morning, recovery confirms terra firma. Soyuz 11 has landed. After two minutes of landing, the recovery crew climbs up the capsule to open the hatch. Mission control is on standby. General Kamanin was waiting for news. The recovery team knocked on the capsule, indicating to the crew that they were about to open and welcome them back. But what seemed like forever... Mission Control received an unsettling report from recovery. It was only one word. Wait. For almost an hour, Mission Control and General Kamenin waited. There was silence in the control room. General Kamenin paced back and forth. Paced back and forth. Then, the familiar sound of static on the radio chirps. The medical crew in Karaganda delivers the numeric status of each crew member. One, one, one. All three cosmonauts were found dead. 
Mission Commander Georgi Dobrovolsky was 43, Flight Engineer Viktor Patsayev was 38, and Test Engineer Vladislav Volkov was 36 years old at the time they were all pronounced dead by the medical crew. They even tried to attempt CPR with no success. This news was a stunning blow to the Soviet space program and a significant loss to the world. On July 1st, state funerals at the Red Square were held for the three brave heroes of the space program. Instead of parades, lavish ceremonies, and congratulations, the country and the world mourned and cried for the cosmonauts. Flowers that were meant to be thrown at their feet now lay on top of their bodies as they were presented like the heroes of past. As the three laid in state, thousands of their countrymen and other honorable attendees from the world paid their respects, and even then-Soviet President Nikolai Podgorny stood to watch as a part of the honor guard. A special state commission and several subcommittees investigated the accident to determine what happened. How can all three die when, at the time of their last transmission, their spirits and physical statuses were all in good condition? There was absolutely nothing structurally or externally that would indicate something was wrong. No cracks, burns, or gaping holes. So what happened? It was not until two years later that the world finally found out. At first, it was thought that the prolonged time in space was the cause of their deaths. Or perhaps it was the extended exposure to weightlessness. When the bodies were recovered inside the capsule, there were dark blue patches on their faces and trails of blood from their noses and ears. From the autopsy results, there were hemorrhaging found in the brains, damaged eardrums, and lack of nitrogen in the blood. There was also 10 times the healthy amount of lactic acid found in the cosmonauts' blood. This indicates stress and lack of oxygen, and most likely, asphyxiation. From the onboard device records, with the module separated above the Earth, the altitude was around 80 miles or 128 kilometers vertically, and it lasted less than a second. The pressure inside the capsule was about 915 millimeters of mercury. About 115 seconds later, the pressure dropped to 50 millimeters and continued to fall until it reached zero. This means they were exposed to the vacuum of space. Due to the rapid decline of pressure, the cosmonauts died of decompression. The investigation revealed the actual cause. As the module separated, one of the explosive bolts misfired, which jolted the module. This jolt caused one of the air valves that was designed to let in fresh air upon entry inside Earth's atmosphere to open prematurely while still in space. With all the preparations and situations that the program was ready for, none would ever thought this would happen. There was evidence on how Dobrovolsky and Patsyev's bodies were positioned and the way their buckles were almost unstrapped that one or both tried to close the valve, but their actions were not fast enough. The air pressure kept going lower and they were not able to breathe. Also during the investigation, Commander Leonov of the Prime crew tried to replicate closing the valve and was also unsuccessful. He also ran out of time. Records show that at that time the valve was leaking, 
the pulse rates for all three men spiked up and then 50 seconds later decreased lower and lower than normal and after a minute, all heart activity stopped. Now there would have been one thing that could have saved their lives. A spacesuit. The crew was wearing their training suits instead, without helmets or proper protection. And the reason why they were wearing their training suits is because only two cosmonauts would have gone into space due to the size of the Soyuz spacecraft. If they were wearing spacesuits, they would have lived to tell their tale. The cosmonauts' death, though tragic, did provide some insight to the necessary safety improvements to make spaceflight more successful. Their contribution to all their experiments, their studies, have long been used by many of those who followed. Soon enough, changes to the valves in the Soyuz descent capsule were immediately addressed and replaced. It also became standard that flight suits are worn during ascent and descent. Many memorials were built to commemorate the sacrifices of Dobrovolsky, Volkov, and Patsyev as well as the sacrifices of the many who have followed. In the landing site at Karaganda sits a three-sided plaque with each of the cosmonauts' name and artists' rendering. Craters on the moon were named after them as well. When Apollo 15 landed on the moon in August of the same year, their names were engraved on the aluminum plaque that sits beside the fallen astronaut sculpture, commemorating the astronauts and cosmonauts who have perished in pursuit of conquering space. Since the accident happened above the Earth's atmosphere, to this day, the three cosmonauts' deaths are still the only ones noted as the only deaths in space. It is my hope, and definitely the hope of mankind, that there won't be any more. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. Tell me, what do you think of this episode? What do you think about the sacrifice that Dobrovolsky, Volkov, and Patsyev have made? If you have enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter at Untimely Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.